Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. G'day everyone, my name is Dave and I get to welcome you back to the Think Orange podcast where we want to encourage, inspire and resource you by giving you access to the speakers, the thought leaders and the experts who are rethinking and reimagining the way ministry can be done. And today is a real treat because we're joined by my good friend, New York Times bestselling author John Acuff to discuss being human and dealing with fear and negativity. If you don't know John, he is the author of seven books, including his newest release, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. John is an Inc. Magazine Top 100 Leadership Speaker and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences and companies around the world, including FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A and Comedy Central. His large and highly engaged social media following includes nearly 300,000 people on Twitter, more than 187,000 Facebook followers, more than 125,000 Instagram followers, and more than 90,000 email subscribers who all look to him for his unique blend of humor, honesty, and hope. He lives just outside of Nashville, Tennessee with his wife and two teenage daughters. And on top of all of that, he's a really good human and I'm glad I get to call him mate. So let's join Reggie, Kristen, and John at the round table. Hey, I'm Reggie Joyner, the founder of Orange with Kristen Ivey, president of Orange, hanging out with John Acuff, a well-known best-selling author who just released yeah. soundtracks. He's with us every year at Orange Conference, and we're going to talk about Orange Conference for a few minutes. New York Times best-selling yeah, author. Yeah, I feel like that's what you got to say. Just go ahead and make sure you yeah. say that, because, I mean, that's a... The qualifications yeah. to say best-selling author are nothing. Oh, okay. um, if you okay. sell four copies, you technically sold more than someone who never did a book, yeah. and you can slap on. And if you sold them in multiple states, now you're a national bestseller. Okay, well, let me start over. I'm Reggie Joyner, <laughs> best-selling author of a number of books, and I'm here with John Acuff, yeah. a better-selling author. Anyway, I just thought I would try to start over again. Yeah, that, I mean, it still, yeah, still didn't say New York New Times bestseller. Oh. And you got to say it in a way that sounds like it's in italics. <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but I want the words to lean. But you can't do New York Times. Cause no, because no, like, no, then no, it feels no. like it's really, yeah. it's like the Staten Island Times right. or something. Oh, so okay. nobody okay. believes quotations. Like that means not true. Yeah. Huh? Right. Okay. Right. Unimportant. Sense. Yeah, well. Yeah. One of the reasons we love to be with John Acuff is we laugh a lot and we get corrected sometimes. <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> correct. Well, you say corrected, I say educated, but either oh, way, okay, either way. Okay, it's yeah, one yeah, way to criticize yeah. a teacher, but okay. Yeah, okay. So, anyway. John, we're so excited that you're here because you're talking with us about this next year's Orange Conference yeah. theme, and we've had a little bit of extra time to develop the content, totally. talk about the theme, really get excited about the message behind it. But this year we're talking about be human. Um, and what does that mean to you? When you hear the words like be human, why is that an important conversation at all? Well, I mean, I think for me, the, the most exciting thing is you're right. We've had time to make this one extra special and everyone is amazing. We've, we spent the last few days talking about some of our favorite conference memories. That's what's fun for us is that we have this history, this multi-year history of going, remember that time this happened? Remember that time that we got to do this song or this person closed or we brought an animal on stage and it went disastrous, <laughs> like in a disaster. Um, and so that's what's fun to me is that when we get together, no camera, no mic, we're celebrating all the people that get to come. Like we joke all the time, like 85 people from Norway come. Like mm -hmm. that's amazing to think about 
Some, everyone watching right now, at some point, if you're in ministry, has felt like you're the only one. Like, it's just me, I'm, I'm alone, and then you come to Orange Conference and you realize I'm in a room with thousands of people that have the same struggles, the ha- same hopes, the same parents, the same volunteers. Um, and I think that really summarizes what it means to be human, um, is we've, we've created a space where people get to show up, um, be themselves, be their best version of themselves, be challenged, be encouraged, and be human. And what we've said the last couple of days is it almost feels like a return, a comeback. Like it feels like a comeback tour because yeah. everyone wants to be human. And we've all been separated. We've all spent a lot of time behind screens and screens do a lot of amazing things. But there's something magic that happens when you're in the same place with other people that are getting to be human too. Yeah. Love that conversation. And I know today we're going to spend a lot of time creating and brainstorming around the ideas of Orange Conference 22 and Be Human. And yesterday we kind of started a conversation that was interesting. It was like, are you ready to be with humans again? Are you ready to think in terms of leading a generation of humans? And, but the idea of being more human or being human carries with it, right? A little bit of an idea of becoming more kind and more compassionate and more generous. So we're inviting leaders to show up to lead a generation in a different way, right? A hundred percent. And what's interesting, something I've been saying this last year, is that crisis magnifies kindness. The little ways that you're human to your parents, to your volunteers, to your staff, to your community, are worth 200 times what they were two years ago because we've all been so isolated. Um, you know, the story I tell is that I was on a trail run, um, and it was a big trail. I could be socially distanced, and somebody ran by me, an elderly gentleman. I had seen him the day before, but this time when I saw him, he gave me a double thumbs up. And that made my day. And two years ago, if some random person does this in the woods, I'm like, mm, it's extravagant. I don't need both thumbs. One would have sufficed. <laughs> but this time I told my wife about it when I got home. I'm telling you about it. Being seen mattered to me. So what's really exciting is that when you come to conference and you learn about, okay, what does it look like for me to be human to the people I work with, to the people I serve? It's worth a hundred times what it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago because of the situation we've all just come through. And so it's always powerful to be human. I think it's especially powerful right now. Yeah, especially powerful right now in terms of the lack of proximity that we've had. And as we've had less and less proximity with other humans, there is something about that that I think makes us a little more afraid, a little more angry. I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't know, a little more skeptical. There's cynicism that kicks in. And that over time starts to feel heavy and like something big that we're carrying and it's incredible how quickly some of that starts to melt away again when we're in proximity with each other, when we have that closeness with other humans. It's kind of part of what this theme can, I guess, surface for us. Well, and it's, we talk about, we often live in a headline culture, not a human culture. So people and issues and ideas are reduced to headlines, and it's easy to hate a headline. It's hard to hate a human. I think we have a chance to lean into the human side of things. And you're right, when you're separated, something that my wife always says is that um, animosity grows in absence. Um, and, a, and a really simple example of that is if you've ever sent somebody a text message and they're slow to respond, it's so tempting to tell a story about why they didn't respond. Did they misinterpret it? Are they mad? Should I use more exclamation points? I mean, if I use as many exclamations in these conversations as I did in text message, <laughs> I would be screaming at you. But it's easy when you're separated to tell a story that might not be true versus I talked to them, we were in the same room, like, I know Kristen, I know Reggie. And so it changes things when you get to be human and it fills in the pieces of a story that might not be true. And so in a time when we've told a lot of stories about each other that 
are untrue to go back to the same space and go, okay, what are you really dealing with? What are you excited about? What's on the horizon for you as a church, as a ministry, as an individual? How can we support that? How can we lean into that? How can we slingshot each other? That's exciting. And I think that, I think that there's going to be a lot of people every year, the Orange Conference is a reunion. Every year it feels like that. I, I've said that for years that it's an 8,000 person family event because that's how Reggie leads. It feels like, you know, I don't go to a lot of massive events where people are taking selfies with the people about to speak 30 seconds before they speak. <laughs> like that's part of like one of the fun things about the event. And it's always felt like a family reunion, but I think this one's going to feel like a homecoming mm -hmm. and it's going to be people coming home to the idea that they get to be human again. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it'll change their ministry. You said yesterday, return to humanity. You were talking about church leaders and ministries mm -hmm. all over the country. I have an interesting question as it relates to you and your, your daughters. When you think about the church in five or 10 years, and if you were talking to church leaders for just a second, you said, here's what I hope you'll do, because this is the kind of church my kids are going to want to have. What would you say to them? Well, I would say, I hope you have a church that allows people to be curious. Before we started filming, I said, you know, my daughter, my youngest daughter, who will be 16 in a couple of weeks, sent me a TED clip that she was watching because she's curious. And so it's not, you know, will they stop asking questions? They're going to ask questions. It's, will we be part of the conversation? So I would hope that you would create a church where curiosity is fostered, encouraged, explored versus a, here's the solution. You have to do it this way, because I think there's a lot of curious students. Um, and I would want us to be a place where you can talk about that. I mean, I recently wrote this book, Soundtracks, and that was one of the interesting things that came up. And it's about um, mindset and overthinking was that Google did a study um, because they wanted to understand what do our best teams have in common? Okay, we've got all these teams, what do the best ones have in common? So they studied 185 different teams in this project called Project Aristotle. They spent millions of dollars of research, 35 different statistical models. And the number one thing was that they had psychological safety. And psychological safety means you can do three things. You can ask questions, you can admit you're wrong, and you can suggest new ideas without being treated unkindly by the team. And I think, so if you said to me, what, what's the magic to a small group? I'd say psychological safety. If you said to me, what's the magic of a ministry? I'd say psychological safety, where a kid can ask a question, where a kid can suggest a new idea about programming, about anything, where a kid can admit they're wrong without being treated unkindly. And it felt like, again, another example of science proving what Christ told us. Like there's nothing in that research that doesn't line up with what we no, is true. And so that, you know, if you said to me, what's one thing you'd wish every ministry would foster and lean into? And I'd say that about teams, because I, I said to you guys yesterday when I got to speak to the staff, if your team, if people on your team, people in your ministry, volunteers, whatever, can't ask questions, if they can't suggest new ideas, if they can't admit they're wrong, what happens is you stop learning. You stop learning if you can't ask questions. You stop innovating. If you can't suggest new ideas, you stop innovating. People leave their best ideas in the parking lot. You never want staff to leave their best ideas in the parking lot. You want them to bring them in. And the third thing is, if they can't admit they're wrong, you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes because you only can fix things that you admit were wrong. And so that, to me, is what's exciting about the future of the church is how do we own the idea of psychological safety? Because if somebody should own that space, it's us. I love the idea of psychological safety, not only in the ministries we create for kids and teenagers, mm -hmm. but even in the way that we create our togetherness as ministry leaders, mm -hmm. that there's psychological safety between churches, between uh, maybe churches in the same community, churches mm -hmm. in the same state, the same region, 
all of us together create that for each other so that we can continue to innovate and create. Well, then you're not siloed. Then you're not, I mean, I live in Nashville and we talk about that all the time. There's a lot of amazing churches in Nashville. How do we bring them together? How do we say, how do we put the city first and in the name of the church second? So that it doesn't, you know, like, I think it was John Wooden who said, you can accomplish anything if you don't care who gets credit. And we, we shouldn't care about, like, we're told, like, (laughs) you get bigger, I get smaller. Like, that's, you know, that's something that we've got in the foundation of who we are. That idea of cross city, cross church, cross, okay, how do we do that? Um, How do we be human together? Because that's, if you do that as a comma, because we're doing creativity this week, be human, and then we're adding something else or or remixing stuff. So be human, comma, together. What does that look like? Be human, comma, at home. Be human. You know, there's so many different ways for us to explore that. That's so good. I, I think that probably one of the complicated things, especially if you read posts and you look at the climate of what's happening in our country, for leaders to admit they're wrong, yeah. or for, for leaders to even suggest they've changed their mind about oh, something, yeah. Yeah. seems like it's a, it's a, it's a, tough, a tough sell to get yeah. them to go, okay, but they've got to model it, right? Yeah, well, 100%. And one thing is, I don't go online looking for psychological safety. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter will never create psychological safety. Instagram won't face That's not its role. That's it's, it's not its role. So if I go there searching for that, I will always come up short. I look for that offline. I look for that in community I'm in, which is the be human. Be like, so, so many of us desire psychological safety, but when you go to the wrong place for it and you don't find it, sometimes you shut down. Where if you really can see it with somebody you're being human with, that's when you enjoy it. But as far as we do live in a culture that doesn't want you to grow in the sense of, if I admit I'm wrong, then I'm all wrong. Like we have kind of an all or nothing black or white culture where if I, met, I made a mistake or if I learned something new, then I must, everything I've ever done is wrong. And I just don't think that's true. And you certainly can't admit mistakes. You have to, um, have to cover the mistakes up. That's the other thing. You deal with the mistake. You just cover it up or you lean into it. We've, we've all seen people try to, instead of admitting a lie, try to fix it with additional lies. And that never, that never goes well. At the end of that experience, you never go, I'm glad I told 11 other lies to fix the first one. Like every parent has had a kid lie once and then you go, hey, I, I want to talk about this. And they go, oh no, that was, and then they tell this elaborate story and you go, these are just additional lies. And so, yeah, I, I think, that the big thing, though, is that's why we need to be human, is that we can't have a lot of, a lot of the things our heart is created for, we won't find online. We can only find them in real spaces with real people. I love the tension you're creating between what happens online, what happens offline, sure. and how that kind of impacts our humanity, maybe in both spaces. One of the lessons that I think we've all kind of taken out of the last year and a half is, wow, digital reality is a part of our lived experience, no matter what. Forever. Here, forever. Here forward, if we were, you know, debating that before the last year and a half, like the last year and a half said, oh, wait, it's here to stay. Yep. This is a part of our humanity now. So how can we be human online and offline? Well, I think it takes a number of steps. I mean, one is admitting the benefits of offline, because there are. I don't think it's, uh, this one's good, this one's bad. So there's great things that, a Zoom event allows you to do. There's great things, you know, I, for instance, I saw a lot of Q&A when I would do virtual events because an introvert who isn't gonna grab a mic in a Q&A in a live event can type a question in a chat. That, that's awesome. That opens up new conversations with new people. You can do polls. So I think part of it is admitting the good thing for both of them and then going, okay, well, where are the gaps? You know, what can I do offline that I can't do online? 
What can I do online that I can't do offline? I mean, think about the number of people from around the world that can't make it to the arena, but can connect. And so I think that's really fun. So I think the first thing is you figure out the best parts of both. You figure out what's missing about both, and then you lean into that and say, okay, I won't go to this space for this because it's really not what it's good at. Or I'm, you know, this is an offline thing, this is an online thing, and I'm gonna figure out where to kind of really explore who I am in the right environment. John, our team is really excited about the release of soundtracks and the impact the book is already making on teams, individuals, and the way it's actually changing how people see themselves, how they mm -hmm. treat others, which fits in perfectly with Be Human and Orange mm -hmm. Conference 22. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for writing it. What was your goal in writing soundtracks? I wanted to help people change the story they tell themselves about themselves. Um, I told you guys, it's the, it's the story you'll hear more than any other, um, more than the gospel, more than Harry Potter, more than any book. The story you'll hear more than any other story is the story you tell yourself about yourself. You tell yourself that story thousands of times a day. And I think a lot of people have never known they have the power to change that story. And so what's really fun is when you realize, one, I have the power and the permission to say, okay, Here's what I think about myself, my relationships, my, you know, my family, my abilities. And that's a soundtrack. And a soundtrack is just a phrase I use for a repetitive thought. Mm -hmm. And so I'm challenging people to go, okay, what does it look like for me to notice those? Um, and then do three really simple things. Retire the broken soundtracks, the ones that are getting in the way. Number two, replace them with new soundtracks. And number three, repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. And I love that exercise because we all have a lot of things we're carrying around, a lot of soundtracks. And on teams, what's interesting, all culture is on a team is just a collection of soundtracks people are listening to at the same time. And sometimes they're deliberate, but a lot of times they're accidental or they've been built up over years. And maybe they were useful at one point, but they're no longer useful and you need to retire it. Um, so for me, it's fun to see Individuals discover the power of soundtracks. Couples have soundtracks. Families have soundtracks. You know, one of our soundtracks um, for the Aka family, and it's not a it's not a big one, but it's we never show up hungry. Like when we go on a road trip, when we go to see somebody, we don't show up hungry. What does that mean? It means we don't come in like a hot mess at 6 p.m. and demand dinner from somebody who's already hosting us for the night. <laughs> if there is a dinner, great. But it's a micro soundtrack to a bigger conversation of we're considerate of others. So we'll stop an hour before we get there and eat dinner so we don't put that pressure on the family. And so it's one of those small things that we're teaching our kids. Think about other people. So it's a soundtrack we repeat, okay? Um, we don't show up hungry, we don't show up hungry. And it's something small. Um, it's something easy. Another one that I teach people is fear gets a voice, not a vote. So you're going to have fear anytime you do something new or different or challenging. Think about the numbers of changes people had to go through. I don't like when people say, be fearless, be fearless, be fearless. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's impossible because it usually means you're stuck and you're not trying new things. So I always say fear gets a voice. Deal with it, process it, admit it but don't give it a vote. It doesn't get to sit at the table and bang the gavel and go, no, 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 no. You have to stay the exact same ministry size. You don't get to ask volunteers to do like, fear doesn't have the gavel. Um, you know, hope has the gavel. That's another soundtrack I say is, fear comes free, hope takes work. You don't have to look for negativity. Negativity will find you. We've all had that moment where you're in the grocery store and something you failed at four years ago comes up and goes, Hey, remember that stupid thing you said in that meeting and the parent was really mad at you? Yeah, yeah. I want to think about that while you're shopping for groceries. You go, where did that come from? Fear comes free, hope takes work. We have to do the work of going, okay, how do we take our thoughts captive? How do we focus on what's true and noble and beautiful? And so that's what's been really fun to see people get the concept 
and understand immediately, oh, I can ask my kid about their soundtracks. I can ask my spouse, I can ask my team. And it ends up being a really sticky conversation and it, it gives a tool, an actionable item that you can do to be human. That's what I love about our events that we get to do. You never walk away going, I don't know what to do next. There's always a series of next. I've never met somebody in the parking lot after an Orange conference where they go, there just wasn't enough content. There wasn't <laughs> enough ideas. I don't know what to do next. One of the best parts, in my opinion, of an Orange conference is the drive home or the flight home. Because when you come with a team, it fast forwards relationships and it fast forwards learning and it fast forwards innovation. And so that's what I love when I get to help go, hey, here's how Soundtracks fits, or hey, here's how this other speaker's idea fits. And it sends people home back to their churches with real things that they can really do in real ministries. Well, there you have it. John Acuff, best New York Times. New York Times, best selling author. You want to go ahead and get <laughs> Soundtracks to be ready for Orange Conference, so. Be Human 22. And uh, we're going to have it's fun. It's like you're doing it on purpose. I, I don't know what the problem is. That's Do we fun. have tension? Yeah, yeah is we, there? That's, this is good. This is good. Now, my guess is that everyone watching or listening to this episode has a smile on their face, either because John made you laugh or because you're really excited about Orange Conference 2022. Tickets for Orange Conference will be on sale October 7th. And you can grab a copy of John's new book, Soundtracks, at the Think Orange store. Just head over to store.thinkorange.com. That website again is store.thinkorange.com. Well, thanks so much for listening or watching. My name is Dave Adamson. And remember, when you think next generation or church strategy, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com.